beautiful humans, welcome to the Lotus Minded Podcast. My name is Reina and I am your host. I am a yoga and meditation teacher, holistic nutritionist, spiritual mentor, and writer. This podcast is a sacred channel to hold space for stories of strength and hope. Together, we will explore how incredible human beings have alchemized their pain into their purpose. We will learn about the pathways that they took to turn their poison into medicine and how they share their unique forms of healing with the world today. This podcast is called Lotus Minded because lotus flowers, the most beautiful and radiant flowers, only blossom from dark and murky swamps. Authentic beauty only comes from moving through our pain and using it as fuel for deep healing, evolution, and service. We will showcase the various forms of spirituality, science, and psychology that humans have used for both personal and collective healing. We will demonstrate how to validate trauma without becoming a forever victim to it and reveal steps that you can take to adopt a mindset of compassion, faith, and growth. In other words, steps that you can take to become lotus-minded. Press play and allow yourself to learn, unlearn, and expand. See you on the other side. beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Lotus Minded Podcast. This is episode 9. We've got a juicy episode for you today. I am interviewing the incredible, embodied, divine Victoria Duvall. And I'm going to try to make this intro short and sweet because I am leaving tomorrow for a trip to Europe. And I have not packed, I'm not organized, I have so many chores and things to do before I go. So I usually have trouble keeping it short, but that is my intention. So I'm going to quickly share my Lotus Lesson of the Week for those of you who are new. The Lotus Lesson of the Week is um, a challenge or obstacle that I went through. Um, However, I have turned it into a lotus and I have taken a lesson, an insight, um, a message from it that I am going to use to serve myself and others going forward. So, right, lotus-minded is just the ability to perceive obstacles as opportunities for greater growth and healing. So, been a lot of obstacles. I said I was going to record a podcast last time of my chronic illness journey and healing and I have not had time to do that so stay tuned for that. But things have just been pretty nuts um, as I've been um, in these last two weeks before leaving and I've definitely had a lot a lot a lot of anxiety come up um, while I'm going to be away on June 24th. It is my birthday and my sober anniversary and 
I think for me and for so many people in recovery that I know right before your anniversary or my anniversary, it can definitely bring up a lot of feelings and chaos. And, you know, there are actual studies showing that like anniversaries of anything that was traumatic, um, it leaves, right, like this energetic imprint. So not only does like your mind remember it, but your body literally holds the memory and the imprint energetically of what happened and can have psychosomatic symptoms. Um, So obviously right before I got sober, I was at a rock bottom um, and was severely, severely sick and addicted. So and anxious, horribly anxious, which is, you know, why, one of the reasons why I was addicted to drugs and alcohol to quell the anxiety. So I've just been noticing, keeping it real here, that I've been super anxious. And, um, you know, when I'm anxious, I try to control, I try to manage, I try to quote unquote figure it out. And I make life a lot harder for myself. So I guess the lesson here, right, is just again, um, well, there's so many lessons, but a lesson that's coming to mind is that, yeah, right now, like it would be super easy to pick up a drink or a benzo and numb all of the anxiety and racing thoughts and stuff like that. That would be awesome. No, it wouldn't be awesome, but it would be convenient. It would be easy to t- try to just turn it all off. But I'm not going to do that because I'm a sober woman of dignity and grace thanks to God and recovery. And so instead what I'm doing, right, is just returning to my breath again and again and again and again, maybe 20 times a minute if I have to, and noticing the racing thoughts, observing them, witnessing them, and returning to the breath, returning to the present moment. And, you know, it just really struck me, right? Like, this is how we heal. It's not by numbing out or taking a pill or quick easy fix or distraction it's by actually moving through which means for me noticing observing and returning to the breath again and again and again or returning to the moment and surrendering to God and I call my higher power God because it's it's easy um it's a whole other episode what my higher power means and has evolved to be but um you know, another lesson in just surrendering control to God. And like, I can't figure it out on my own. My human mind simply is not capable of figuring out my whole life right now. It's just impossible. It's overwhelming and leads me closer to picking up a drink or a drug, right? So it's like, again, I'm learning that I need to surrender to my higher power, trusting my higher power, having complete faith in my higher power that if I just show up and literally take the next right action, one like hour at a time one day at a time has felt like way too much so I'm just keeping it to one hour at a time if I just literally show up and take the next right action showing up with honesty open-mindedness and willingness and integrity and love like God will handle the rest more will be revealed God initiates and all I have to do is respond So those are, you know, I don't know if those are lessons, but definitely like insights that I'm coming back to in this time of um, my sober anniversary. It'll be four years, God willing. So one day at a time adds up to four years pretty quickly. Um, Yeah. So I think, yeah, those are my Lotus lessons. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Victoria. So I met Victoria 
back in the day when I was a little babe at New York University, NYU, go Violets or Bobcats or whatever the heck the mascot is these days, was obviously not really in the sports scene, um, but we met in a class at NYU um, and hit it off, have stayed connected over the last several years. We, I met her when I was like 19, 20, so it's been almost six years. And um, so Victoria is an influencer, women's coach, and a podcast host. Definitely check out her podcast called Victorious Thoughts. That will be in the show notes. But what she does um, is she really helps women to access their true embodiment and empowerment. She is a beautiful oracle of truth, of wisdom, of grace, of dignity. She really helps women to access their divine feminine and the wisdom and safety that exists exists within. So I'm super stoked for you to hear this episode. We talked so much during the recording that I actually am splitting it up into two episodes. So listen to this episode, episode 9, and then definitely go to episode 10 and that'll be part 2. Because we were talking and like two and a half hours went by and so I thought I better break it up but she just truly has so so much wisdom so much poise and grace and um, just so much insight into this life that we live as women but as humans if you're not a woman listening um, I think everyone could get something out of this episode Um, so yeah let me know what you think definitely check out part two and I will be in Europe for the next two weeks, but um, I hope that you really like this episode. Let me know what you got from it, and yeah, I'll see you on the other side. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Lotus Minded Podcast. I am here with the beautiful Victoria Duvall. Hello Victoria. Hey guys. <laughs> How's it going? It's going amazing. I'm so happy to be here and to talk to you today and I'm just so excited to get into all of the deep and profound experiences and thoughts that we share and that we have. So I'm really excited. Beautiful. And you know, like I've told you, you truly like embody the lotus flower to me of alchemizing your pain into your purpose and helping so many women to stand in their authentic truth and power and worth. So just so excited to dive in with you. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> of course. So I'd love for you to just start by introducing yourself. So who you are, where are you living right now? And like, you can tell them about your little travel, big travel plans. And um, yeah, what you do in the world today. Perfect. So, so my name is Victoria Duvall, and I'm an influencer and a woman's coach. And me and Raina actually met, we both went to NYU. And we met in a class that we took at NYU. And so I, yeah, I do um, women's basically like influencing and talking about true embodiment and true empowerment. And I think that it's really needed in the world right now because a lot of what's being 
talked about and the narrative for women's empowerment, in my opinion, is just repackaged misogyny and coming from a really, really wounded space. And it's hard for a lot of women to imagine what true embodiment is if you've never seen it slash if you're not truly embodied in yourself. So it's hard to really imagine what embodiment and liberation and life looks like outside of oppression and oppressive systems. And so, yeah, so that's kind of what I talk about and how I show up. That's so incredible. I'm so excited to unpack all of that. And yeah, just for the listeners, where are you sitting right now? And so I'm currently in New Jersey and I'm moving next week to Costa Rica, which will be really fun and I'm really excited. And I I'm just really excited to move to a Spanish-speaking country and to embark on that journey and also to make a lot of like content in in another in another country and and it really makes me happy like being I like to be in Spanish speaking countries because like being Latina and wanting to be kind of surrounded by other people that share a similar culture to you just yeah so it really makes me happy so I'm moving to Costa Rica next week (laughs) yeah that's so incredible and it's really funny because I've been I told you this but I've been wanting to take a solo trip to Costa Rica for a long time so when I heard Victoria was moving there I was like all right gotta do it gotta get on it so (laughs) keep you guys posted if that manifests I'm really hoping it does and you know I'm not Latina at all but I love being in Spanish-speaking countries I have always I like had um a nanny from El Salvador when I was like a baby and so grew up with the culture. Um, and I just always like, I feel like I was definitely like Latina in a past life because I was <laughs> obsessed with traveling to Spanish speaking mm-hmm. countries. It's my favorite thing in the world. So mm-hmm. we have that in common as well. <laughs> yeah. And if you come to Costa Rica, then everyone who's listening to this will see us be posting about it and posting oh, content, yeah. YouTube videos and talking more about yes. this and everything that we go into now. We'll get fluent in Spanish and do an episode in Spanish. I actually been wanting to do an episode in Spanish um, or like a podcast in Spanish or some sort of like TikTok or something like that. So so that could possibly be coming. But but anyway, <laughs> you are you fluent now? Um, I'm pretty I'm my Spanish is pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. I, when I was a kid, I spoke Spanish and then my, my dad, my father wasn't as present in my life after a certain age. So I kind of lost my Spanish and then like totally lost it. And, um, and then when I started living in Spanish speaking countries again, it started coming back and then I just started learning and building more on it. So I'm not a hundred percent right now, but still pretty good. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so kind of going from there, going um, back to your childhood, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk a lot about how, right, all of our adult wounding that continues to replay until we heal it stems Mm -hmm. from infancy and childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And until we connect to that root, right, we're Mm -hmm. kind of living these unconscious patterns. So I'd love for you Mm -hmm. to kind of take us back in time to your infancy, childhood, teen years, Mm -hmm. um, and talk about what you moved through. And Mm -hmm. right, we'll get into later how it, you know, impacted you and how you moved through. Okay, cool. I'm so excited. So 
So when I was um, infancy, childhood, and then teenhood, I feel like are all such different periods in a person's mm-hmm. life. And they're all me and um, my boyfriend, Jeremiah, we're just talking about this, about like your inner teen has a totally a different experience and has to be like cared for in a different way than your inner like, you know, seven year old, your inner like it's just different phases and everything. So I had really different phases of trauma and pain at those different stages of my life. Um, But when I was very young, my father, my biological father, he is, um, he is just a serial like domestic abuser. And um, there's a lot of sexual violence there. And um, really caused a lot of pain to my mom. And so when my mom, when I was like one, my mom left him um, due to uh, domestic violence. And then my childhood became very tumultuous when I was um, in my around like five, six, seven, as my father was arrested then for child abuse um, of mm. towards me. And so then my father was arrested and that as a child, you know, I don't actually have too many memories from my childhood, Um, but I do remember just feeling, I I just, I remember just starting to lie a lot. Like I started lying Mm -hmm. and creating all these big stories kind of. And I also remembered getting really afraid and making all of these like, um, like boogeyman type things. And I feel like when children Mm. actually, you know, at, at NYU, when I, I majored, I mean, I minored in child and adolescent mental health studies, um, with like a focus in violence in youth. And one of the things that we talked about was that in your childhood, when children are being, you know, abused or experiencing trauma, a lot of times they'll create these fears that they're the thing that they're afraid of. They're not, able to deal with so they create something else and for me it was like bloody mary like i was so afraid of bloody mary for like seven years and it was like debilitating i was like super afraid so i just i think i got very like nervous and afraid and then also kind of like creating um this like alter image of myself where i would like lie a lot to protect that image that was more of like a perfect um more of like a what I what you what I thought what I wanted to be you know Mm -hmm. and then in my um once I hit like 10 years old I was who I am and my my journey and my purpose in this life was very very clear um my voice became something that I couldn't suppress it was very natural to me to be in the very the archetype of more of the very powerful divine feminine where you're very Mm -hmm. you're speaking your truth um and you're like that rage that feminine rage the speaking your truth saying what everyone else won't say and um because of that I was very outcasted in my communities in my schools and I was really like bullied people would send me like death threats all the time and tell me to like kill myself all the time and everyone I was very very disliked and hated when I was growing up because I would talk about things like you know misogyny 
um, specifically misogyny. I would talk about women's issues and, and the violence that's happening with women. And as a child, nobody wanted to hear that. And especially the boys <laughs> that were, um, you know, my age. And so there was a, a very big hatred. And that's what we see on a very more global scale and a more um that's like a fractal of what is the whole which is the suppression of the feminine and the feminine is that truth that oracle that says what nobody else will say and then mm-hmm. the masculine is the the part that then takes action from what is spoken by the feminine what's reflected by the feminine that truth that honesty that that rage the the necessity of speaking the truth is reflected through the feminine and then the masculine takes action but what we're seeing right now is that the masculine is actually not taking action um, from the truth being spoken from the feminine and that's creating a massive um, imbalance and actually what's happening with the masculine is the masculine is actually imparting violence towards the feminine for this truth that's being spoken so I experienced that on a more Uh, small scale in my own personal life Um, so that was really difficult for me when I was a when I was growing up because my gift my power the thing that my purpose was extremely shamed um, and I even like switched schools and and stuff like that and then I also at the same time experienced um I was experiencing a lot of like abusive relationships from a very young age. I got into very intense abusive relationships starting from the age of 12 and I would be in very long-term abusive relationships. So from 12 to 16, I was in an abusive relationship. And then from 16 to 18, I was in an abusive relationship. And then from 18 to 19 I was in a toxic one I wouldn't call it abusive but toxic and then 19 to 20 I was in another abusive relationship Mm -hmm. and then finally um liberated myself once I turned 20 or I would say 21 around the excuse me around then but um but yeah so I think I so I was experiencing kind of like a as a teen and as a from like 10 to 18 I experienced more of like the suppression and of my voice and the Mm -hmm. shaming of who I am as a person and of my gifts and then also I was experiencing a lot of like intimate um violence from my partners and I Mm -hmm. also experienced like a lot of like um like I had a lot of uh you know issues in school and so so I I definitely had a lot of turmoil (laughs) as a child (laughs) um I did I just rant a little bit (laughs) No, that's but, it's all beautiful. I I so appreciate your vulnerability, and I I would love to you know just like stay in. Ch- I have so many questions, you know, going off of what you just said. Um, there's so much there. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, we I know you really practice shadow work, right? And owning owning your your shadow and and mm-hmm. the unconscious wounding, and mm-hmm. so I'm curious, like you know, for purposes of this episode of how you've turned your pain in terms mm-hmm. of abusive relationships and wounded feminine and all of mm-hmm. that into your purpose of, of helping mm-hmm. other women to step into that. Mm-hmm. What would you say in childhood you developed shame around? Because, you know, oftentimes 
then in our teenage years, we develop, right, like the inner critic or these Mm -hmm. protective parts Mm -hmm. that are trying to protect the inner child from being Mm -hmm. shamed. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like from your story, right, you were expressing this natural gift that you have that I've witnessed of, right, standing in truth and authenticity and and Mm -hmm. speaking the words that no one else maybe wants to hear because it's calling them out. Mm -hmm. Um, And you had that profound gift come out at such a young age, but were then shamed for it. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if, you know, if that was a wound and if there were any other wounds that you had shame around that maybe later manifested into these um, abusive and toxic relationships? Yeah. um, So the wound I think that I experienced was, you know, the shame, well, there's many wounds, but specifically talking about like the shame around um, my purpose and in this life, right? My gifts. Mm -hmm. So as a result of that, one of the things that occurred and it was actually my first podcast episode was about the masculine shield um yes and I think that became a massive protective mechanism for me because I felt so perpetually unsafe as a child um not just in my family which I did feel unsafe in my family but also when I would go out into the world with my peers in my community I was nervous that people were going to I was nervous at points that people were going to like actually like harm me and cause yeah you know real real injury to me because of what I would speak and my opinions and my voice and so as a result of that I created this very intense shield and I wouldn't even say it's a masculine shield it's what I called in my first episode I would say it's very much like a a wounded yeah a wounded masculine shield that Mm -hmm. um that came out where I was very aggressive towards vulnerability and Mm -hmm. I think that was my journey into Uh, the fullness of femininity. And I think for me, the part of femininity that was very natural to me was, and I couldn't turn off, was the very, um, the truth telling and the oracle and the the Mm -hmm. rage. Um, But the part that's feeling and vulnerable and sensitive, that part for me was completely shut off because I felt so unsafe. And so as an adult, I had to, to actually express my gift, I had to go back and heal the parts of me that felt so unsafe so that I could actually turn my pain into power and actually show up as uh, as a servant um, to humanity. I had to not come from any wounded expressions. And for me, my gift was, was uh, like had all this armor around it. And I would yeah. get so angry and very like triggered very easily by people that would specifically men that would, you know, um, say, try to tell me that what I was saying wasn't valuable or whatever, I would Mm -hmm. get really, very aggressive. And and I was very, um, even in my relationships with other women, something that I noticed was, it was very difficult for me to, to be around vulnerability and sensitivity. um, Because that part of me was so closed off because of how, Mm -hmm. like, I always felt like I was kind of just in this corner, like throwing punches, trying to like protect myself, you know, and there was no space there for me to be sensitive for me to really drop into my feeling body. Um, And then also in intimate relationships, a way that I transformed that wound um, into empowered um, divinity and sacredness in a a healthy relationship was I 
allowed myself to first of all you I had to create the safety that I didn't get outside of me I had to create that for myself internally from that space everything changed and that was for Mm -hmm. me how I was able to move from this from the pain to the power was um I think a lot of women feel really unsafe from Mm -hmm. um they feel really unsafe due to the culture of misogyny and patriarchy and violence against women and and the lack of true divine masculinity um they feel really unsafe and as a result they allow themselves to go through their whole lives coming from a really wounded space and for me um giving myself that safety and feeling truly safe in myself allowed me to then be vulnerable in my relationships and feel safe in my relationships with a man and also with other women and to express my sensitivity and really get into my feeling body and and all of that. So did that answer your question? That was that was one of the ways. That was one of the ways <laughs> yeah. that I transformed into power. Yeah. No, and we'll definitely get more into like the transformation process. And what really strikes me about your story, what I find so interesting is, you know, I've known you since you were 18. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from the moment I met you, you like radiated, right? Like this fierce feminine yeah. power mm-hmm. in terms of right truth telling and also right, like not taking shit, standing yeah. up for yourself, standing up for others, mm-hmm. which was so like inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but right, you also mentioned like it could turn a little bit into the shadow side of like wounded masculinity from your perspective, mm-hmm. right? Well, because mm-hmm. you didn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to me. I'm really curious about like you had, right? Like this kind of wounded masculine that was a little bit more like aggressive, how you've described it. Yeah, exactly. But, and I'm curious, though you were getting into these relationships with, right? Like these toxic men. So I'm curious, like how that played into it, right? Because you had like this armor up of, right? Yeah. Not taking shit from anyone. Yeah. And, this power. And then what was that like in your relationships? Mm, Yeah. So I think that, um, that shield, um, that armor would Mm -hmm. be completely gone. And I would go into the other distortion, which is the completely wounded feminine who just allows, Mm -hmm. um, everything and who is completely out of her power and, um, looking for validation not validation but more like safety and Mm -hmm. um in somebody else who is unsafe and putting Mm -hmm. the um having it's hard for women and for myself it was hard for me to even know how do you even know how to get out of a toxic relationship if you're toxic within for yourself it's like how do you right like how so for me I would move to that extreme where in the outside world, I would have more of this like masculine shield up, this wounded, more aggression. And then in my relationships, my personal intimate relationships with men, I would be completely bulldozed over and feel like I had no voice and, um, and really feeling like I had no voice. And that through my dedication to myself, that completely transformed Um, But then I'll also say about kind of what you said about, you know, when you met me um, feeling like, you know, seeing that the the natural like fierceness uh, and the Mm -hmm. that that uh, archetype of the divine feminine. And then for me, 
kind of like I said earlier, to really show up authentically in that expression, you have to be balanced and you have to be balanced in your sensitivity and in your vulnerability and in your feeling. And at that point, I wasn't balanced. So that natural, everyone could see that natural expression, but to really be um, of service to myself and to others, I had to balance it out um, with the fullness of the divine feminine, not just that that one aspect, although that's the one that's most familiar and most natural to me. <laughs> yeah, but- totally. And I always see it like a four square chart. There's like wounded feminine, divine feminine, wounded masculine, divine masculine. Yeah. And right, mm-hmm. it's like we can go into all of those four at different times depending yeah. on right? If we're living out of our wounds or our worth, you know? Yes. yes, I love, oh, I love that. (laughs) It just came to me. Um, I love that. And, you know, (laughs) something that, you know, I've also talked about with you is like, I believe, and this comes from a lot of the manifestation work I was telling you about before Mm -hmm. we recorded, but like our subconscious self-worth is the law of attraction. And we're Mm -hmm, either acting out of high self-worth or low Mm self-worth. But oftentimes when we're in low self-worth, this is when I think we go into that like wounded masculine Mm -hmm, sometimes and wounded feminine of either being super aggressive to protect ourselves or being going into this more victim consciousness in order to feel safe and protected. And it kind of just ping pongs. Yeah, totally ping pongs back and forth. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think it's just like a a helpful way to view it is when you're acting out of wounding, you're probably going to go back and forth between both with different people, depending on what's being triggered. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, another part of this that I really love to talk about with people are like the core beliefs that they were acting from um, Mm -hmm. and what like limiting beliefs they might have had at that point. Mm -hmm. Because I think that really helps people to relate. So when you were in, you know, those teenage years, early, very early 20s, um, in these string of, you know, um, abusive, toxic relationships, Mm -hmm. what were like those limiting beliefs you had? Yeah, that I'm sure you've, you know, worked through in the last few years? Yeah. So one of them that comes to mind super quickly, is I had a belief that toxic slash abusive relationships were something that happened to me. And I had Mm -hmm. no control over them. And I think that Mm -hmm. mindset is really, really, really perpetuated in our culture with like, you don't know, you're not going to know if he, you know, he might put on a mask and, you know, he might string you and you don't have any really say into if you get into a toxic relationship or not. Mm -hmm. And I also held that belief where I believe that. And um, from that space, you have absolutely no power. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, what really woke me up out of that victimhood and out of that limiting belief that's really not true at all Mm -hmm. um, is that I read this book that I talk about all the time, (laughs) You Can Heal Your Life by Mm -hmm. Louise Hay. And I talk about that book all the time because it was such a turning point for me in my journey that really took me from victimhood to empowered woman, from wounded little Mm -hmm. girl to empowered womanhood. And that really um, allowed me to see that my limiting belief that toxic relationships just happened to me is not true and um, that I really do have control over over these things. And it really comes, as you said, from a deep sense of self-worth and a deep sense of connectedness to yourself and a knowing of yourself. 
and um and you can't really move further past your limiting beliefs unless you are dedicated to creating a deep sense of self-worth a deep self sense of um of self-knowing as i said and i feel like you can't move past unless that's your number one dedication and as you're on that journey um and that commitment to yourself all of these limiting beliefs will come up and you're going to see them for what they are and be able to um realize that they're not real so that was one that that came up for me um and then Another one, wait, I I thought of it before and I forgot it. Another um, limiting belief. Oh, another one was that when I was younger, I believed that um, I internalized that nobody would ever understand me and Mm -hmm. my voice. It was better to just keep myself to myself. And because that was perpetuated so much outside of me that like literally nobody understood what I was talking about ever. And I actually realized recently when my boyfriend asked me, you know, how much of what you place onto the world or even other women is actually just your limiting beliefs from when you were a child and actually what you believe about your mother and also from yeah. women that you or girls that you were engaging with when you were in like high school or middle school or whatever. And I realized that literally I was still operating from a space that I was holding on to these limiting beliefs that like nobody would ever understand me or nobody would ever resonate with what I'm saying. And it's it's better to just kind of hold back my expression because there it's not even worth my time to speak because nobody will ever hear it. And because I was coming from that space and that that belief. I wasn't able to even able to see how much I'm actually um, resonated with from other women. And I actually only just really grounded into that because and it was so beautiful for me, like seeing, you know, as a child, I had held on to this belief so deeply and I held on to it for so long. And then I was like, you know, even recently just really seeing that limiting belief for what it was and being like, wow, I'm actually really um people resonate with what I'm saying like my voice Mm -hmm. is heard and valued and my gift is valued and heard and um and yeah so and that even from on the other side of that I was able to dive deeper into my sisterhood wound and really Mm -hmm. see that for what it is and heal so much of what I um what I had projected onto other women that's just simply not true and from that space diving so much deeper into this is more for me like my my feel my sensitive side of my femininity and and diving deep into Mm -hmm. that and that's another belief that like kind of put armor up around me and I'm able to pull back those limiting beliefs that um that yeah that just aren't true and I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast to just Mm -hmm. think about you know what limiting beliefs did you internalize about the world or about other women or about yourself as a child that you hold on to now that are no longer applicable and you don't need to hold on to them anymore and you can just put them down I love that. Thank you so much. So much wisdom. And something I just wanted to also bring up, I'm curious if this was a limiting belief. I remember listening to one of your first podcast episodes that you ended up Mm -hmm. doing a few on about like 
the savior complex and feeling yeah. like you need to save people. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, right, that was a very early wound that you had with your father. Yes. And in celibacy, you were really, which we'll get into, but you were really right, able to heal that. And yeah. I have definitely worked through this for myself, this wound of people pleasing and feeling like, I need to save people um, in order. And for me, right, realizing that was the way I learned how to feel safe in childhood because my, there was so much chaos and trauma in the home. Mm -hmm. So if like I could control people's emotions, Mm -hmm. then I would be safe, you know? And like, Mm -hmm. I, I learned as a very kid that I needed to control that to be safe. Yeah. Um, Right. Of course, this is like a limiting belief that children make up um, just to feel a sense of like in control. Yeah. And so I'm curious for you, security, right and it's a basic need right this need for security Mm -hmm. so I'm curious for you how that played out like in your um relationships before um your celibacy journey yeah um so the savior complex and I think like you said it's really like those really coming from this really wounded space this people-pleasing space the wounded feminine um Mm -hmm. all of that so I think for me as so that I think originated with my father, as I spoke about mm-hmm. in my podcast. And for me, it was really knocked out of the park. It felt like, so that was where it originated. And that was the last space where it had to leave. Um, and then yeah. in between that, um, I was able to get out of that space as I started getting more into my body. So in my two years of celibacy, which, um, was for me just really a two years of like solitude where I was able to get back into my body and release my attachment to who I was and allow Mm -hmm. my who I am now to be fully developed really (laughs) and um and really step away from the wounded my wounded way of of showing up in the world and allow the new empowered truth of who I am to come forth um but in Mm -hmm. that space I feel like with relationships, I would get out of my body and and I would be trying, like you said, to get some sense of control and safety and security. And Mm -hmm. so in my relationships with men, I would be trying to save men is just trying to control the situation. You want a certain Mm -hmm. outcome. You can't sit with the reality, not you, Reina, but you know, people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But People in general, you know, this phenomenon occurs because it's difficult for people to sit with um, what's actually happening. And if they sit with what's actually happening, they get in their body, they sit with what's occurring, they're forced to deal with the reality of the situation. So if you don't want to sit with the reality of your situation, a way to get out of that is to go into the savior complex and think, oh, I can change them. I can fix them. I can save this. And you mm-hmm. actually take way more responsibility onto yourself saying like, I have the power to fix this when you actually don't. And it's actually right. the other person's life and choices and responsibility and has nothing to do with you. And so I feel like the more that you get back into your body, you call your energy back to yourself, you check in with yourself first, which is really like healing codependency. Cause I feel like the hallmark of codependency is ignoring how you feel and focusing on the, how the other person feels and then trying to act on that to get some sense of security. Mm-hmm. And that will never bring you anywhere. And so 
the hallmark of secure attachment. Really, like secure attachment is how you move out of this space of um mm-hmm. of savior complex because it's checking in with yourself and saying, how do I feel? What's the reality of the situation? What do I need? Um, and not taking their load onto yourself. And uh, for me, in my relationships, even when I coach women and in my coaching sessions, you know, I was even talking to one of my clients the other day and um, just about her breakup and about um, just her situation and just talking, I would say like, you know, well, can he, can, can he deal with that? Like, can that be his to carry? If you Mm -hmm. try to carry that, you're leaving your body. You're leaving your power. Mm -hmm. It's not yours to carry. And the only reason that you're trying to carry this is because you actually don't want to carry the truth of what's going on. Mm -hmm. You don't want to carry the reality of your situation. So it's easier to get out of your body and to try to carry his load because it will never work. So you can stay in the dynamic. If you try to keep totally. people pleasing and and trying to create create the sense of control outside of you, it won't ever work. Which actually allows your shadow self and your wounds, they love that because then they you get to they stay with it. them. <laughs> they love it because you get to stay yeah. with them and and you get to it will never work. So they keep you trapped forever. Um, yeah. yeah, and you know it almost reminds. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just I like I'm a I can like keep talking. That's how my podcast is. So I just <laughs> talk for like 40 minutes. I was just going to say I something about it. my father, but I want to hear what you have yeah. to say. No, I was just going to say it reminds me almost how right like and I had the same thing as you were as a child. There was so much right like chaos in the home, so I mm-hmm. would have nightmares about for for you it was like bloody mary bloody yeah. man. For me it was like vampires and ghosts and like yes. paranormal stuff. And totally. I I had the same I, I was, similar yeah, I would like need to like go sleep on my parents' floor till I was like yep. fourteen. Like it's me crazy. too. <laughs> I would literally make crazy my brother fears. sleep in bed with me until I was literally. Yeah. Yes, totally. <laughs> like crazy irrational fears of monsters and stuff. Yeah. Um, but that being said, it reminds me almost like as like we couldn't control our parents and and the the trauma, but mm-hmm. we were in control of going back into these mo- like. Yeah. fantasies of of monsters and that was our way to cope with it and that was right. how we relived it as kids before we started being in romantic partnerships right totally. but then once all oh, it's like makes sense when you're like 14 when these monster boogeyman fears disappear yeah you can then play out all of the childhood familial dynamics with your partners yep. but it's like that same thing of mm-hmm. escaping what's really going on yep. to go into these fantasy worlds whether yep. it's boogeyman or a real man yeah that, that's a great point I love that I hadn't thought of that before and that's that's really true um yeah what yeah. were you gonna say about your dad though um I was just gonna say about uh but I love that point I need to I need to journal about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need to reflect on this but um but with my father, I was just going to say, um, in that really, um, excuse me, I'm like, my throat keeps like having like little issues. I don't know, but, (laughs) but, um, with my father, uh, I had talked about in my first or one of my podcast episodes that my, when my father went to, uh, prison, the last, the most, one of the most recent times, which was like two years ago, I, um, I really was faced with the depth of this like savior complex. And Mm -hmm. to me, I had already kind of clear. 
half cleared it with like relationships and really getting into my body and, and forming um, like healthy thought processes, like rewiring my thought processes mm-hmm. to focus on my internal process and just, you know, rewiring all that, reading all my books and stuff like that. But anyway, um, but with my father, I realized that it, there was still like a root there. Um, and mm-hmm. that needed to be like really pulled out. It's like that was the root of it. And I had kind of cut to the root, like the stem, but mm-hmm. there was still that root of my father there. And right. um, with my father, when he went back to prison, I was like, my immediate response was I was just trying, I was completely overextending myself and trying to save him and when, and trying to help him and, and do all these things for him. And feeling like, oh, this is unfair. He needs to, like, get out of this situation. Um, and then I – my therapist, who's, like, my saving grace. I love her so much. Mm-hmm. She's everything. Me too. <laughs> I'm, like, obsessed <laughs> with my therapist. She's my bestie. But um, <laughs> um, but she's everything. But anyway, I, you know, was talking to her. And for, a, like, a month, a full month, I, like, completely – went out of body trying to, um, like I was in this deep in this savior complex and, um, and I was like not showering for like days and like wasn't eating and was like wearing mm-hmm. the same clothes for days. And I like couldn't function and was like flying to Miami to try to get things together for him and like just doing all of this crazy stuff when, um, and from there I was like, wow, I was able to see just how deep this savior complex went. And when I sat with the reality and the truth, which is he committed a crime and did something Mm -hmm. really wrong. And it's Mm -hmm. been this way for a very long time. Is he Mm -hmm. allowed to sit with the, can I allow him to sit with the consequences of his actions? Can I allow him to have his own life? Can I allow his karma to to play out on its own? Can I get into my body and respect his soul's journey? Even if he's not respecting his soul's journey and he doesn't, he wants me to come save him and he's asking me to do all this drama for him. Can I rise above that and hold his sovereignty even when he's not holding it? Mm-hmm. And can I, and I think that's, you have to to end the savior complex you have to hold another person's sovereignty you have to see this is actually right where they're supposed to be in this life for them mm-hmm. i have no idea what god's plan is for them me mm-hmm. trying to step in and do all this drama to to take away from their their life and 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 what's unfolding for them is actually really disrespectful. I'm disrespecting God's plan. I'm disrespecting the natural law of life, which is sometimes, you know, karma isn't good or bad. It's completely neutral. It's a mm-hmm. it's a response to an action, you know. And when I was able to get back into my body, I was also able to hold my father accountable for the decisions that were I very much disagree with. Um mm-hmm. and and for me too, and I think that even when we get into our bodies and in any relationship, we're able to hold people accountable with compassion too. Like, you know, you made this decision. I am not okay with it. I can hold it, you accountable and then make a, a choice from there. But holding your sovereignty and holding the truth of who you are, I'm not judging you, but I'm also saying 
I'm not okay with this. I won't allow mm-hmm. this in my life. You're sovereign and mm-hmm. I'm sovereign. I get to make my own sovereign decisions here. So I feel like, right. um, so yeah, so I feel like really, but also just saying like, what what would my actions be if I respected his journey in this life? Like I'm, a, mm-hmm. a, he's allowed to be in prison if he made, if he, you know, committed crimes against women, he is allowed mm-hmm. to be in prison. Can I let him be there? You know, can I, can right, I let his right. life's plan unfold? Can I let God do God's thing, please? Like, right. can I allow God yeah. to be God, please? You know, so right. I feel like, yeah, just not carrying something that's not yours. Mm, that's really, really powerful. And I love what you said also in your podcast, like you had to come to a place of desirelessness for him, yes. right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. so powerful. And for me, I remember when I was younger, I thought like people pleasing and being a savior, these meant that like these things meant I was super nice and caring yeah. and loving. Yeah, I was making it like a positive thing when really yep. it was it's selfish because it's you're completely. stepping into someone else's journey yeah. and trying to manage their experience so that yeah. you feel comfortable. To- yes. Uh, wow. That was so powerful. You said that in such a succinct way. It was so powerful. And I, <laughs> I experienced that even, you know, not just with my father, with my other parents, with my stepfather and my mom, mm-hmm. you know, in less, uh, in less, dire ways but still like less you know oh my god he's less uh scary ways but in still very very deep ways I would experience that just the same like you know I'm trying to speed up some process or something that I think is I think that I'm the one I'm being selfish here I'm seeing that I'm saying you should be somewhere you're not who am I to say that you should be somewhere you're not you know, I'm just trying to, right. like you said, to make myself feel more comfortable um, with who you are. And I feel like from that right. space, when you can say, okay, I'm not trying to make myself feel more comfortable with who they are. I'm going to accept them as who they are. I'm going to be desireless. Then from that space, you can be objective and say, do I want this person in my life or not? And right. I feel like from that we try to do everything to prevent getting to that space. Like, okay, from my seat of power, do I want this person in my life or not? And f- we try to right. like control them and save them and do all these things to to not sit with who they are. And from that space, you can decide, yeah, I need to objectively love this person or like I can objectively love them, but I don't want them in my life, you know? Exactly, right. And it takes a lot of courage to get there. Yeah, I love um, I love what you said though. You say you say it's so succinct and so profound. I feel like I need a thousand oh words to say it. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I love how you say everything. Um no, but it's it's just so true. And I again I think right it all comes back to self-worth, right? If you're living mm-hmm. from high self-worth, mm-hmm. you're gonna be able to have those boundaries and mm-hmm. only allow people in your life that are worthy of your your presence, right? Totally. And it doesn't mean you don't love them or not. It just means, right, like you yeah. value yourself enough to not allow like toxicity and trauma into your field. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And I'm curious, like something I experienced in childhood, right, like similar to you is a lot of, right, like just trauma and chaos and uncertainty. And I think for me, I internalize that as like something's wrong with me. Like my mm-hmm. family is so fucked up. Like yeah. something must be wrong with me. Mm-hmm. So I need to like, quote unquote, like prove. And this is what I think like the inner critic is like prove to everyone that I'm worthy through grades, through yeah. um, through like all these random ways, right? And yeah. then 
another part of that for me, like in my journey was I was working so hard to like perform and prove that I was worthy because Mm -hmm. I didn't have that inherent sense of worthiness because I had so much like internalized shame. So I, you know, you know this, but I struggled with like addiction and and Mm -hmm. serious eating disorder for many years. And these were also ways to like numb myself, distract myself and like feel in control of Mm -hmm. my body. Yeah. And I'm curious for you if you struggled with any of those things as well in your teenage years. Um, And if that, you know, for me, it also definitely played out with men, right? I was only attracting in emotionally available, abusive men. And I felt like I needed them to love me in order to feel worthy and like worthy of existence almost. So I'm curious for you, like how those dynamics played out if they did at all. Yeah. So for me, I I did not experience an eating disorder and I didn't experience Mm -hmm. addiction as far as substances, Mm -hmm. Um, although I am sober completely. (laughs) Um, But um, but I for me, I think I experienced addiction to relationships more than than most people. Um, Mm -hmm. I experienced, I was never single for more than a month and I was always in extremely long-term relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for, and all of them very abusive and also sexual violence and things like that. And Mm -hmm. so that was one way, but I do think, um, with what you said, you know, stuck with me just now when you said the, um, your low self-worth, you were Mm -hmm. kind of trying to, um, prove that you were worthy outside of yourself. And I also experienced this. Um, and for me, it really, again, kind of because more of my purpose in this life is centered around more of like um, helping women exit, like find deep self-worth to exit toxic dynamics with men and find their power, whatever. So that's more where all of my issues were centered. Um, and I think, uh, but for me, even when that with that low self-worth, I think I created and not necessarily around men, but I definitely use men to strengthen it. But I created like an um, such a, a strong ego, like such a strong um, uh, focus on these things that I thought would keep me safe and that like if I yeah. proved them, they would keep me safe. And um, that would be like how I looked or um like just like things that were very like superficial and I placed Uh an incredible amount of value on it when I was younger Mm -hmm. because I was trying to everyone around me would make me feel like who I was was so invaluable so not invaluable so (laughs) non-valuable and um so not valuable and so I was like what is something that other people find valuable that I can like um harness like that I can that like that I will be viewed as worthy and I also use this with men like when I was um Mm -hmm. in my late teens um very early 20s like 20 years old I would only date men that were viewed as very um valuable by society which is coming from such a distorted place they're not actually Mm -hmm. No offense, valuable <laughs> men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. um, I hear you. I would, I would only date certain types of men because I felt so not valuable within. So I would try to date men that would, by associate that by association, I would be, I would, I would hope to feel valuable, and it would never work. Right. 
you know what I mean? And so that would never, ever work. And, um, and it's such a wound and I see it, you know, from a lot of women and even from women that I coach and stuff like that. And just, you can't even figure out who you are and what you're attracted to, even your sexuality. I talk about this. You you don't even know what your sexuality mm-hmm. is until you're not coming from a right. wounded space. You don't know what you what you're looking for in a man until you're not coming from a wounded space. You have no idea because everything before that is just a distortion, just a distortion of your wounds, and it's just literally right. just your wounds running rampant, you know. And so yes. for me, I think um, I was really trying to. Um, be viewed as valuable by others and that would come out in a lot of ways that caused me a lot of harm and would uh encourage me to abandon myself because to even be in the situations to be perceived as valuable by a society that has no idea what real value is you have to abandon yourself um how did you like feel during these times like Mm -hmm. in a typical day like what were your thoughts and feelings like Oh, yeah. I, I'm like, I your, like, sense of self-worth. Like, yeah. Because um, I know for me, like, there were points that I was so addicted and, like, yeah. I wasn't even consciously anymore feeling bad about myself because I was so in the illusion. Yeah. And then yeah. there were other times where I was, like, deeply, deeply in low self-worth and, like, yeah. all dark stuff. So I'm curious for you. Yeah. Like, I want to get soon to, like, your breakthrough into your right yeah. journey. But, like, in the dark times, what was it like? Um, I definitely had both of those experiences as well. Like I Mm -hmm. would feel sometimes I, you know, I think it's really hard when you've lived, when you are living in darkness, you think that darkness is the vibe. (laughs) You think that that's, you think that that's dark glamour. Yeah. Right. So it's like, that's like what, so you don't even really (laughs) realize that like, you know, like you said, you're just comfortable in that space. And I would have right. those those periods, those chapters, and then I would also have chapters where I was incredibly feeling incredibly um, low. And for the majority of my life, until I um, came to know God, which was when I was nineteen, mm-hmm. for the majority of my life, so when I was ten to nineteen, I. Mm-hmm was completely super depressed. I was Mm -hmm. very negative, very aggressive, very, um, you know, hopeless, very angry. You know, my anger was, was placed correctly, but I just had no Mm -hmm. sort of, um, anything to, I had no sort of balance. And so I was just, yeah, support. Um, and so on any regular day, I would feel very, um, just very disconnected, really low, very kind of like hopeless and very angry. I would feel very irritated. So I think for me, what would come out more would be like the anger, the irritation, the um, like, you know, just very uh, short tempered at all times and feeling very depressed and very sad and miserable. So that's how I would you know, show up until um, I was 19. But for the majority still of my life, that's how I felt. 
Yeah, no, thank you for sharing all of that. I think it's so important, right? When we're talking about pain to purpose and like pain to power, I love to go into the power, which we'll do now. But like, (laughs) I think people need to identify with what the pain looks like, because like you said, when you're in darkness, you think it's the vibe. You think it's like glamorous (laughs) sometimes. So I think it's so important for people to hear, right? Like, you felt that too and yeah. like what it really looked like. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's really, that's really important. And I'm really glad that you said that because too, I, I think that's something that I also need to share, I think with my, um, with my base and the, the follower, my mm-hmm. followers and the women that really look up to me. And, um, because although, the, you know, they have watched my journey, a lot of it has been from like, how I was, you know, the the journey that they've seen is me figuring out empowerment and then getting to like real embodiment. So now, right. you know, being an embodiment, but then before they still were seeing me like, you know, making healthy choices and trying to get into my, and, and really like in that space of really choosing myself, even though I would falter and I would fall and I would have, you right. know, some, it was still that, but nobody has really seen, um, the majority of my life and the before that before I was 19, um, you know, which was just really just I was atheist. I was, you know, very angry. I had very deep sisterhood wounds. I was, Mm -hmm. you know, always in abusive relationships, feeling miserable 24 seven, feeling depressed 24 seven, completely hopeless, no sense of spirituality or connectedness to God or connectedness to myself or anything. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, it's, um, and you know, it also just shows like, you know, you can, the, you can choose to, you can, you can really change your life if you choose it. Right. A hundred percent. That's also powerful. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious in your journey, like in Buddhism, there's this term called Satori, which mm-hmm. means like the moment you recognize truth. It's like a moment of enlightenment or remembrance yeah. of your innate divinity and that yeah, you want to break free. Oftentimes this comes after like, you know, someone has their ultimate rock bottom. I'm curious mm-hmm. for you, when was the moment if you had one or maybe there's been mm-hmm. many Um, Mm -hmm. where you were like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to make a change. Yeah. I think I had two of those. Um, Mm -hmm. actually I would say I had three. So the first one was when I want to hear them all. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Um, so my first one was it. So my first one was really just, I had a, um, one of uh an abusive or a toxic really the only relationship that I had that was like toxic not necessarily abusive mm-hmm. but definitely toxic um and it I had this experience and afterwards I connected with my mentor um his name's Laundrell and I speak about him often um mm-hmm. so I connected with him and he basically led me out of the darkness and into who I am Um, and I don't remember a specific period, but I had moved, I had moved to Argentina and I was Mm -hmm. living in Argentina and I was completely by myself and I was in solitude and I was, um, you know, single and obviously, you know, celibate for that period for like six months or whatever. That was not my like two year celibacy, but I was like celibate for like six months or whatnot while I was living there. And, um, And I just, all of the sudden, 
I was just surrounded in the bliss of God 24 seven. Mm, and wow. You know, when I can't, that doesn't last forever <laughs> first. No, it does last yeah. forever. It does last forever. But, um, but that, for me in that part of my journey, it, that didn't. And it, there was another, there was like a depressive episode that came after that, you know, yeah. but for that, um, and now you stay in that space all the time. Um, but so it, it does last forever, but in my, it lasts forever. Once you're kind of, uh, more proficient in that experience right. in whatever. It's, I can't it's a daily, it's a daily it's a, practice. Yeah. You know? It's like you have to learn. It reminds me and, um, obviously completely different, but when people sometimes have these like huge, crazy psychedelic experiences and then they come yeah. back to earth and their life is the same, you have to yeah. integrate it if it's going to yeah. last. So exactly. you were in the full integration yet. Yes. Ex- ex- perfectly said, Raina. <laughs> Literally. Perfectly said. <laughs> Just get me. Um, but yeah, so basically I was given this gift, um, from God that I was in bliss of God for like four, four months Mm -hmm. or so. And I was just so crying every day. So joyful, so happy. I went from literally having no connection to God to knowing in my body, feeling God everywhere. And, but was that that because of the nature, would you say like, what about Argentina awakened that? Was it after a breakup? Like what sparked that for you? Well, it was after a breakup, but it was really, um, I, um, my teacher, the person who was able to open, who was able to connect me to God. Usually people have some sort of guru, some sort of in between person that for me at that point was Londrell and Uh it was divinely orchestrated. It was just my time. It was just mm-hmm. my time. Like I didn't do anything. I mean, actually, I mean, you know, I was actually celibate. I was in solitude. I was by myself. I was not interacting with anybody, you know, so that really contributed and I was in a new yeah. space. But what it really was, I think was the solitude plus God said it was my time. God said, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to, I, I need you to, to know me for this. Now you need to know me, you know, you need to know me. And I was gifted that. And um, so that was my first kind of period. But that, like you said, it was completely not integrated after. Um, mm-hmm. And so then I went through my integration period. And then my second, um, my second, when I, the real, the real time that I was like, hey, like I'm done with not, you yeah. know, living in my power that was a real moment for me when I decided to be celibate, I decided to be sober, and I decided to go alkaline vegan. That was all one choice one day when I was fed up of living a life that I wasn't embodied, that I was coming from my wounds, that I was harming myself. And I just was like, I need to choose myself. And I need to just make this decision. And, you know, I need to like, I'm just done. You know, and for me, that came after a period of really intense self-abandonment. And like you said, usually that comes after you hit your rock bottom. And for me, Mm -hmm. I had like hit my rock bottom. And from there, I was able to um, really uh, rise so beautifully. And, um, once again, right after that, I moved to another country. I moved to Madrid. So I think for me being in solitude and not being around anybody else is such an important part of my 
embodiment uh, and especially Mm -hmm. when you're like really you know that you're not in the space that like you see where you where you where you're going towards you know what I mean like you're really in a wounded space Mm -hmm. and you really need to like help yourself I think for me solitude is really really important um yes so yeah so that was another period that I had like a really intense just like I need to um I need to get it together and then yeah I would say honestly that was probably the only that was probably the only other one I had you know a little um mini one but that was more it wasn't as much it was more right before I met my partner I was like I am I became so devoted to my potential union that I it was just a really beautiful moment for me like I didn't know who he was going to be or who my partner was going to be but I was like I am going to ensure that I make the choices that protect my future union because it's that important to me and I'm going to do that now so that he will come and if I don't make these choices I'll either prolong him or he'll never come and I'm done not being with him like now I actually need him and two weeks later then he came so wild yeah I love in your latest podcast episode you like dive deep everyone needs to listen to that episode (laughs) um right and you were like it's that period where the like what you want the manifestation is not coming through and it's like god's like you just need to trust me a little bit longer i'm testing yeah. you this is like the final test yep mm-hmm. and if you're able to have faith in me and mm-hmm. have high self-worth and take the aligned action I, you don't need to worry it's coming yeah you know? mm-hmm. that's and beautiful. you just need to put so, that extra faith sorry i didn't mean to cut you off what were you saying no go i was just gonna say like you need to just the like for me even I remember it was like a moment for me when I was like you know fear or faith like I'm going to put my faith Mm -hmm. in God I'm going to put my faith in my man too in my divine union I'm going to put my faith into it and then how do I act when I have my faith in my divine union even before it's here I have no idea when it's coming who it's going to be with but I'm going to put my faith fully into it and then Mm -hmm. how do I act what do I do where what choices do I make and then those are the choices I started making And then, you know, he came. Thank you all so much for listening to the part one of a two-part episode series with Victoria. Definitely go check out part two, episode 10, to hear more from Victoria. See you there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Lotus Minded. I am beyond grateful to have you as a part of this beautiful community. It would mean the world to me if you could rate, review, and subscribe to Lotus Minded so that we can continue to share stories of strength, hope, and healing. Much love until next time.